Muddy News Media. This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally football show. Today, no idea either, frankly. One-way traffic at Old Trafford as Tottenham Hotspur put six past tottering hot mess. Then the champions get done 7-2. Can we call this one sloppy, Jürgen? As Ollie Watkins and co. rinse out the pool at the villa. We look back on that and the other big stories from a crazy weekend. Hot down West Ham with four nails and almost four nils at Leicester and top-notch action and <laughs> top-notch action too as Leeds show Man City how to football. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listener, thanks for joining us. Monday 5th of October, we're fresh from just another average weekend in the Premier League, really. We've got Daniel Story in from the eye. Hi, Daniel. Hi, James. Nice. Dominic Fifield of The Athletic is with us as well. Hi, how are you doing? Very well, thanks, Dominic. Also, former pro baller Adrian Clark. These days, tearing it up in the analytics world. Adrian, lovely to have you with us. <laughs> no, great to be back. What a, what a night to get a call up for this show. Loving it. Wow. Yeah, what what a what a day! I mean, the weekend, but particularly the Sunday, uh, uh, really mixed for people called Ollie, um, and really dark for Patrice Evra, who I think took it harder than than anybody. But we'll, we'll come on to all of that business. Here's a, a tweet quickly from Paul McIntosh, who cites Danny Baker repeatedly insisting that this season is going to eventually be regarded with as much credibility as wartime football. Does he have a point regarding the many many caveats? What do you think? I mean, potentially in terms of the kind of haphazard quality and maybe the unpredictability of it, but um, I don't think it's any surprise that Danny Baker has sided with that being a negative. But I think for most people watching, that's a huge positive. You know, we football is better when it's unpredictable. Football is better when it's when everyone is tweeting like their house is on fire. So all power to it. I think it's brilliant. Well, we all feared, didn't we, that football behind closed doors would be sterile. There'd be no tempo. The players wouldn't really be up for it. And it's just turning out to be the opposite. I don't know if they're losing concentration because they all think it's a practice game. They think it's just training or something. It's it's really, really bizarre. But we need it, don't we? Because as a spectacle without fans, it's nowhere near as good. We know that. So, so all you can hope for is a little bit of craziness and entertainment along the way. And boy, we're getting that. This, this, this is fantastic stuff and, and really, really well-timed from the Premier League. So well done. Mm. Phil Martin asking, is this season proof that people like me shouting man on from 80 yards away in the stands was actually really effective and ball-playing defenders struggle without our great advice? What explanation, Dominic, if any, have you arrived at today for what is going on? I've been sitting here trying to trying to work out why people have forgotten how to defend. Um and I, I sort of concluded in the end that I wonder whether we actually underestimated quite how important the 
the time on the training ground doing the endless repetitive drills um, that, that Roy Hodgson and Sam Allardyce and the like uh, apparently is their style of management and, and gets defences organised. And th- the reality at the moment is most clubs just don't have that time on the training ground. There is there is no, they're all recovering from a, from the game and preparing for the next one. They're not they're not actually doing the sort of mundane defensive drills that they might have done in the past. And, and may, maybe that has come into it. Maybe there's a bit of mental fatigue as well. I just wonder whether it was if it, is it more mentally draining to to be defending and having to concentrate all the time or I, I presume that is I mean Adrian probably the, the person to ask I mean compared to say the press that the forwards are putting on on these defenders I mean I, I imagine it's a, a drain for the defenders more is it? I think it, I think so look you're speaking to someone that didn't do a great deal of defending <laughs> <laughs> already pressing and when I did well no I, I was quite good at pressing but yeah no when I did it yeah it wasn't too successful so so no but I think you hit on the right the, the right notes there I really do I think that because of the the Carabao Cup games, the Europa League games and whatnot, they just aren't having that time to work on the nuts and bolts. And when you're just ticking over at the training ground rather than really going through things, and you can do, go through countless videos and you can analyse this, that and the other, and you can have a team, a raft of analysts that go through all the information. But unless you go out there and practice, you do attack v defence day in, day out, then I don't think you can really nail it, and and the teams aren't aren't getting to do that. So yeah, I, th- I think you 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 hit the nail on the head there. Mm. Well, it was a weekend that was filled with scorelines that looked like they came out of the Carabao Cup, kind of a late round when the big teams are desperately trying to find other things to do with the midweek. So many things to talk about. Uh, we're going to begin, of course, with Sunday night at Villa Park. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Jack Grealish is looking for another, and it is seven! The captain gets his second. This is a day of dreams for Aston Villa. Listen, when last season ended, about a week ago, uh, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool were champions, and Dean Smith was almost relegated uh, with Aston Villa. So, Villa beating Liverpool today, can you think of a shock of the magnitude of this 7-2 scoreline, Daniel? Um, I mean, I think there have been probably been bigger shocks. Um, but I don't think there have been maybe more surprising humblings of a, a Premier League champion. It's the first time a Premier League champion has, has ever conceded seven goals. And it's incredibly unusual for um, a Liverpool team and, and any defending champion to kind of collapse so readily against a, a weaker team. I mean, Villa have Villa have rejuvenated themselves over the summer. They have, I really don't like the phrase, won the transfer market, but they did at least do some very serious and very clever business in, in bringing in Matty Cash and Ollie Watkins and Emilio Martinez. And they strengthened in key positions without going for that scattergun approach that, that some have done and, and arguably they did last season. But no, I mean, nothing explains the kind of cataclysmic nature of, of beating Liverpool 7-2. In, in a season of surprises, it's nice that one thing stayed constant, and that's when Jurgen Klopp announced Adrian would be taking Alisson's place for this one. We all kind of knew what would be coming, and, and, and it did. <laughs> what a way to start, four minutes in. I mean, dearie me, dearie, dearie me. And and his, his afternoon or evening didn't really get much better after that. I mean... 
we we can we can talk about Liverpool's woeful defending, but they 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 had sixty nine percent of the possession tonight and conceded seven times, um, which is baffling in it in itself. Really, uh, I I'd just like to to talk more about the impact that Ross Barkley had on that Villa team. I know we we always sort of focus on Grealish and and he's been brilliant. He was brilliant again tonight. Watkins was superb. But Barkley, Barkley should have been walking away with four or five goals to his name tonight. He was utterly unstoppable through that midfield. And that that is the Barkley that Chelsea thought they were buying all those years back from Everton. Uh, And the the Barkley, he just didn't fulfil any potential at all at, at Chelsea. You could argue he didn't get a proper run in the team possibly, but he just looked as if... I mean, he always tries to turn it on against Liverpool, but my word, he was unstoppable, irrepressible tonight, and and it was great to see. And I think Gary Southgate will be watching that with with interest on the outside. He <laughs> uh, was brave starting lineup to put to put him in there with McGinn as well and Grealish, and and I think that's the word that I take away from Villa's performance. They were brave. They they, they were playing the champions, yet they didn't worry about gambling on those forward runs in fact in fact they 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 relished the opportunity to to make those lung busting runs and to test liverpool they they were they were asking questions weren't they ross barkley was asking questions of the liverpool midfield do you actually want to follow me here or are you going to give up and most of the time they gave up it was it was brilliant to see as bad as liverpool were and as baffling as it was that they didn't change their tactics and they didn't you know drop their line a little bit deeper and ju- and just just tweak something. You got to credit Villa for for the way they exposed Liverpool. They'd seen what Leeds had done to them. They'd seen what Arsenal had done to them when Arsenal were bold enough to make those forward runs, which wasn't often enough in that game. And and boy, did it did it pay off. It was it was stunning from Villa. It really was. Villa now on their best start since 1962, and seven games unbeaten, stretching back to the the end of last season. Daniel, is this? One of those kind of early season blips when, you know, the minnows can upset the big boys before they get themselves sorted. Or are we witnessing a real revolution and the, the, the kind of Premier League pyramid being turned upside down? Uh, I think probably a bit of both. I think there is an element of that. And, and Jurgen Klopp will be mightily relieved that, albeit plenty of players are going to all corners of the globe over the next two weeks, he does at least have an international break to, to I, I suspect, seriously look at whether the, this high line really works um, because they haven't been picked off until now but it, it you know this was the kind of defeat that is bigger th- than itself in that it sends a message to forthcoming opponents that you know try and copy this plan it might not always mm. work and if if Mane and Salah and Firmino are all clicking and all there you might concede two or three goals but if Liverpool had lost 3-1 tonight you might say that's that conceding seven goals to a, a probable bottom half team will send a message to the rest of the Premier League and this is a season already in which there have been more shock results and, and odd occurrences than what we might normally expect in a full season. So I, I think it's a bit of both. I think, you know, exactly the same as with Manchester City. People now know that there's nothing to be fearful of, of any team they play in the Premier League now. Yeah, I also feel that there's a lack of intensity from the Liverpool players. When you play, when you squeeze up like they do and try and make the pitch feel really small for the opposition... It relies on everybody doing their jobs and it relies on everybody working to, to the maximum. And I think maybe we saw Mane and Henderson, you know, their absences were, were really felt here in, in the way that they drive the team on and, and charge around. They just backed off a little bit. And when you back off and you still keep that high line, 
then it's an absolute recipe for disaster. And 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 yeah, I, I just it was it was so basic because when I was a young player at Arsenal, and, and I'm sure most young professionals are taught this, it's 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 one of the first things you learn is that if there's a real press on the man on the ball, you can squeeze up with a bit of confidence because that guy hasn't got time to pick the right pass. But if there isn't, if they've got time to look up, you go with the runner and you do not try to play offside unless it's the worst run you've ever seen. And and for Liverpool to continually make those bad decisions just is a real head scratcher for me because Van Dijk, it's not like they had a depleted back four tonight. They had a tighter winning back four tonight albeit the goalkeeper was different. So yeah, it's, hmm. it was it was re- it was a really it was really weird that Liverpool didn't respond and realise the mistakes that they were making. Well, Jurgen Klopp got to, when he, he sort of won a staring contest with Roy Keane last weekend after Roy used the the, the sloppy word and about Liverpool's performance. But th- there's no other there's no other description really for this. And as you say, Adrian, the remarkable thing wasn't just that. You know, with the extenuating cir- circumstance of Allison being missing, that they did concede early, but that the reaction didn't come, the changes didn't come. Well, no, yeah, I just think if if something's not working, you, you change it, don't you? you? You might change the shape, you might just change the approach and say, "Look, lads, we're we're going to back off from the press and we're going to let them come on to us and we'll pick them off." But they just carried on do- making the same mistakes. In fact, they got worse. I know that Gomez was was the fall guy, wasn't he? Um, not had a good start to the season. Hooked on the hour for, for Fabinho to drop in. He <laughs> didn't really get any better, did it? So he'll be relieved at that fact, no doubt. But um, yeah, it was it was just one of those days. I I've looked at Liverpool a bit this season, and, and Van Dijk and Arnold and Gomez are just not the same players. They're not switched on mentally in the, in the same way that they were last season. They will, they'll, they'll regain it, no doubt about it. But he, here and now, they're in a bit of a daydream. And, and yeah, it turned into a nightmare, didn't it? I also wonder if it, you know, it's a very, it's an easy theory to, to make after a, a game they've lost 7-2 with a backup goalkeeper, but <laughs> it probably shows just the difference a goalkeeper makes not just to you know to stopping shots and even to the the kind of possession football and short passing that we've seen over the last few years, but just the amount of confidence it breeds in a defence. You know, Manchester United are a far better defence when David de Gea is in form. And that you know he doesn't necessarily affect those defenders, but just in their mind, if you've got a slight doubt about, hang on, I need to be stopping someone taking a shot here because we're conceding goals from outside the box. Just that doubt in your mind creates that mini second of delay that can be the difference between you spotting a run and not spotting a run or making the right decision and making the wrong one. And, you know, I don't want to pile in on Adrian, but the difference in Liverpool's defending, albeit it hasn't been perfect this season already, looks night and day when he's there and when he's not. Well, it looks like uh, Alisson won't be there uh, when Liverpool return after the international break, when they'll, of course, be taking on Everton in the derby. And Everton side who on Saturday continued, of course, their perfect start. With a 4-2 win over Brighton, they've started a league season now with four wins out of four for the first time since the summer of 69 when they went on to win the title. They've won seven games in a row in all competitions for the first time since April 87 when they also won the title. Are Everton just one goalkeeper away from challenging for the title? Oh, Jordan. Uh, I wouldn't quite go that far yet. Uh, I'm still eating humble pie on the on this podcast. Uh, when, when I was on a few weeks back when they signed James Rodriguez and was asked, you know that the sense, the good sense in in that signing, and I cast some doubt on it and suggested it was probably the worst type of 
buy that Everton could possibly do <laughs> sort of a go go back to the sort of glamour days when they probably needed something very different well I, I've been proved horribly wrong on that front I, I, I love the balance to the Everton side and even without Alan playing on Saturday they've got so much so much uh, going for them a lot of creativity now uh, incision I mean they, they, they scored four past Brighton with with Richarlison carrying an injury and departing early uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's utterly untouchable at the moment as well which which helps but uh, I suspect I suspect ultimately they will drop off slightly from their from their position at the moment um and and Jordan Pickford's errors will come into that um I know he it was it was another dreadful dreadful goal to concede the first one in particular and, and unfortunately with Jordan Pickford he's not really um offering much reassurance to those centre-halves in front of him at the moment but Everton have got enough firepower to sort of make up for these errors as, as it stands and it's great to see I, I just I've always loved Carlo Ancelotti I just think he's brilliant he was great to cover when he was at Chelsea and and his his eyebrow is a is just outstanding in itself so uh, to see that as a happy eyebrow now is 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 great 50 points between them and Liverpool at the end of last season now Everton three points clear that's a 53 point swing Incredible! <laughs> yeah. All down to Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, th- I think they they might not be favourites with the bookmakers ahead of the derby, but but when that game comes around, I think you'd have to make them slight favourites, wouldn't you? Given the way they're playing, given the fact that that Allison probably is unlikely to to feature. It's um, and and they, they are scoring goals for fun. They do remind me a little bit at the moment, and obviously it's exceptionally early days do remind me a little bit of the Leicester City juggernaut mm. you know where you, where you get a team that just has balance you use the word Dom and you have a goal scorer that is untouchable and then you, you know the Mares, you just replace him in with James Rodriguez don't you it's it there, there are shades of it it's, it's obviously only four games in so it seems ridiculous to say it, no but, no but, but there's no European fixtures Italian yeah, it, manager exactly there's a mm. bit of momentum there and and I can see them going on a bit of a run here Everton they'll be hard to beat for sure in that in that derby um, yeah it's it's depth it's probably quality of their defenders I think is the issue Mina and Keane when put under pressure by lively front men that that will pin Everton back I, I think clever movement can can undo them especially if you, especially if you've got you know Coleman and, and Dina flying forward so so yeah I, I think then they'll leak a lot of goals um, as the season goes on but but yes right now they're fantastic all right, well, the Merseyside Derby will be the first game back when the Premier League returns after the international break. Many more stories to discuss from Sunday and Saturday, so we'll be back with those after this. We know everyone thinks this season is going to be different, but at Paddy Power, we're staying positive because isn't the new normal just the same old football? Avoid unnecessary journeys? That's Fulham's trip to Anfield off. Self-isolate? Some strikers do that very effectively already. You see? New normal, same old football. And that's why if one leg of your 4-plus-fold Acker lets you down, you get your money back as a free bet on all football matches and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1-5 to five on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop best. T's and C's apply. 18plusbgambleaware.org. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Harry Kane will step up to take the penalty. Remember the scenes. Remember the scoreline. Spurs have six. 
at Manchester United. Sunday afternoon then, everybody. It was one-way traffic at Old Trafford. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats was the line I had uh, for this in a particularly abject performance from the Red Devils. A down to ten men, of course, but in deep trouble before Martial got his uh, marching orders. As for Spurs, completing a four-game, 17-goal week with possibly their best performance under Jose Mourinho. This was kind of back to his Porto knee-sliding, suit-ruining golden days. No, Daniel? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the one thing we know about old Jose is that when he identifies weaknesses in an opponent, particularly an opponent that he has um, a personal reason to try and better, as well as a professional one, he absolutely delights in doing so. And, you know, Tottenham were excellent. Manchester United made it incredibly easy for them. Um, and that is a result, to my mind, that that should have very long, serious, lasting ramifications at Old Trafford. But um, Tottenham should have been tired. Tottenham fell behind after one minute. It was a disastrous start. And yet the response was... was um, incredibly measured. You know, it wasn't a panicked response. It wasn't a, we're going to need to fly at Manchester United now. It was a, we know we can beat these. We've worked on their weaknesses. We know what we need to do to swing this game in our favour. And we're going to do all of those things. And, and that is the, the definition of a well-coached team. And that's not something I've thought about Mourinho's Tottenham much so far. But um, it is the antidote of what I've seen in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United. Right. I mean, from the Spurs' point of view, the, the view had very much been regarding Mourinho, that he'd been a bit left behind by the game. This start of the season seems to say something quite different. Yeah, I think this was the most impressed I've been with Jose Mourinho for a long, long time. I think this eclipses anything he produced as Manchester United manager. I think he, he did really, really expose United's weaknesses here. Um, I wrote a piece before the game, actually, just explaining where I thought that they could hurt Manchester United because they've got two forwards that are playing as the wide forwards, as the wingers effectively. And they've got two-man midfield effectively with, with Fernandes doing what he likes. And that means if you've got attacking fullbacks and Spurs have got attacking fullbacks in Regulon and, and Aurier in this game, then you can really cause problems. And what, what happened was uh, Lamela kept dragging Luke Shaw in and then on the outside... Aurier flew and we saw the same on the other side and they just had no real answer to it Manchester United that was just one of one of many problems that was just a tactical um, piece of, of management that Jose nailed on the day it was magnificent I thought from Spurs Son and Kane superb the selection of, of Ndombele turned out to be a masterstroke he's, he's really skillful isn't he he doesn't always look the part it looks a bit heavy, but he's got good skill and, and he caused problems. So, yeah, it was it was very, very clever from Jose. For, but for me, it was it was the two forwards, Son and, and Kane, and, the, and those flying fullbacks that, that did the damage here, coupled, of course, with some truly dreadful football and uh, attitudes from Manchester United's players. There were some magnificent bits of defending, the Bailey pass, <laughs> but also the bit when um, Harry Maguire hauls down... Is it Luke Shaw? Luke Shaw, yeah. When he's just about to clear. <laughs> I mean, not that you should laugh or anything, but it, it was a tremendously entertaining start to the game and became progressively less so for, for Man United fans. The red card, it wasn't about the red card, but we, we probably should mention it when uh, Lamella thrusts an elbow in Martial's face and Martial responds with a bit of a cuff to Lamella's face and then gets shown the red card. Lamella should have gone as well, no? 
personally thought it was a yellow card each, but yeah. but uh, I guess if you're sending off um, Martial, you should probably have a look at the at the elbow as well, um, and and determine whether that was a red card offence as well. Mm. Otherwise, it's, I mean, I just think it makes a bit of mockery whether retaliation, which was was petty, it was petulant, um, but the original offence was had a, carried a bit more snarl. I thought. Yeah, I, th- I think that red card. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer owes Anthony Taylor a pint, really, because it, it gives him a get out of jail yeah. card, really. Yeah. Because I'm telling you now, Spurs were going to thrash Manchester United, mm. whether it was eleven v mm. ten or eleven v eleven. They were all over the gaff, and and the, it's just the attitudes of, of the players. I thought Luke Shaw's trip on Lucas Moura just summed up where their heads were at. It was a disgrace. It was. I don't care about this anymore. I'm just going to do what I want. And 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 what can anyone do about it? Paul Pogba's tackle for the penalty lost his head. He, he was also culpable for the goal before. Obviously, we saw, you know, mistakes littered through the game with Baye and Maguire. But yeah, I just, just thought that their discipline as a team was non-existent, Manchester United. And that is not a good reflection on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at all especially in light of what's happened off the pitch in terms of discipline in recent times with Harry Maguire getting into trouble with Mason Greenwood it just gives that impression that you know that, that they're not doing things properly that the standards on and off the pitch are slipping there. Well, Daniel you were saying that you, you felt this result would have long-term ramifications what kind of far-reaching effects do you think should happen uh, I presume you're not talking about signing up a new left back and Edison Cavani from Paris Saint Germain. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, I, I, I said exactly the same on the the show last weekend after they won. But there are two things at play here. There is, there is, is both true that the off field recruitment is appalling, is completely inefficient, and is hamstrung by having non football experts in football expert roles. But you know, it is also true that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is not the best man for his job. It, to me, it's it's incredibly simple. You could ask the supporters or you could poll the supporters of the 44 or 43 other teams in the Premier League and Championship. And I would be surprised if more than 10 of those clubs, majority voted to swap their own manager for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You know, there are reasons that he is at Manchester United because he has a history, but they don't count for anything anymore. He's been there nearly two years and we haven't seen enough improvement. And... You know, to, again, they they lost to today was most disappointing because they they effectively lost two matches. They lost it through their own inability to defend and organise themselves in the first half. But at half time, a, a good manager or a good coach says to those players, "We've lost today. We've got ten men and we're trailing badly. Now go out and show some resolve and either run down the clock or do something just to to puff your chest out a bit." And actually. They had a complete abdication of duty in the second half as well because their heads went and they conceded more goals. The one development that we, we do know of this Sunday evening is that Cavani and Alex Tellez are apparently doing their medicals. Colm Hall asked, does the pod think that Edison Cavani will really be an upgrade on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Uh, it's an interesting angle. And Shuman Joshi says, can we do a flip forward instead of reverse? where Ollie's sacked and Potch is brought in just so we can simulate United's next three years where we again do just so we can establish how managerial chopping is futile right now. There are, there are a, I've seen a lot of Manchester United fans saying, 
um, what's the point in changing the manager because everything behind the scenes is rotten? And I kind of understand that point. But if you've got five problems, the best solution is surely not to go, well, we're not doing that one. So there's no point fixing any of them. You fix the ones you can and changing the manager has long in football been the easiest way of doing that. And it, and it can make a huge difference. Danny, who's in your winners and losers column for Football 365 this Monday morning? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the most emphatic weekends of that column I can remember, if I'm honest. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, bless Wolves Fulham, but it will not be getting a mention. <laughs> OK. <laughs> is, um, is Cavani's agent in your winner's column? <laughs> it should be. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought a week ago, this has got Manchester United throwing obscene money at players they don't really want all over it. And <laughs> at least Edison Cavani is old enough and past it enough that they won't throw obscene money at it other than on the wages. But I honestly believe you could give a football passionate 11-year-old um, a blank canvas with Manchester United's transfer policy and he would come up with better names than Edinson Cavani. He really would because it's just, it's it's remarkable. It, it really is. It's laughable. It's absolutely laughable. It's genius forward planning in a way. Obviously, Martial's got a three-match ban. So in, in comes Cavani. <laughs> yeah. Happy days. <laughs> yeah. That is long-term planning the Manchester United way at the moment, isn't it? We'll cover the next three matches. I just, it's staggering. It's staggering that, that, that United's answer to Lindelof stroke by stroke Maguire in, at centre-half is to bring in a left-back, an ageing striker, and to target a right-winger. I mean, it's just... It's just utterly baffling and nothing nothing will go right at that club properly go right at that club until they sort out their recruitment mm. when they return man united have newcastle away then paris saint germain in the champions league and chelsea so that's going to be interesting also a bit of business there's going to be a lot of this kind of thing today because the transfer window is closing on this monday the 5th of october but spurs in the meantime have wrapped up both a new striker and also one of the best signing announcement social media posts in recent memory uh, as Vinicius joins Jose Mourinho's aside, uh, aside buoyed by an extraordinary 6-1 win at Old Trafford. Of course, you have to be careful not to get too excited over one victory, as last weekend's shock winners in Manchester, uh, Leicester, uh, demonstrated themselves uh, this weekend, just how different things can be only one week later. We'll have a look at Leicester and their performance against West Ham next. Listeners, we want to tell you about Scoot, the new lift-sharing app for friends who love football. Scoot connects teammates who drive with teammates looking for a lift. So whether that's a trip to training, a -a five-a-side kickabout in the park, or a visit to the pub to watch Super Sunday, Scoot auto-calculates the costs, splits the fares, and collects the money via the app so there's no haggling or chasing cash. Scoot is also 80% cheaper than ride-hailing or taxis, and especially these days, isn't it nicer to share a car with no more than five of your mates than get on a bus with strangers? Download Scoot today on Android or iPhone and get £15 worth of free rides and drives as soon as you install it. Even better, if you send an email to help at scootride.com saying The Athletic sent you, you'll get an additional £5 after your first drive or ride. Go on, get your boots out of the boot with Scoot, the Totally Football Shows and The Athletic. That's Scoot, S-K-O-O-T, the new lift-sharing app for friends who love football. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Start of Sunday seems a long time ago to us here on Sunday evening, but back then, listener, West Ham's 3-0 defeat of Leicester at the King Power Stadium seemed like the shock of shocks this season, sending the Hammers zooming up the table. Uh, with another away, with another clean sheet rather, and a rare away win. Neymar Butlins writes in, 
asking, can the panel explain the success of West Ham? Moy should receive some credit, particularly considering that he's doing this without the help of Marouane Fellaini. Well, the best man to explain what's going on with West Ham is Totally's West Ham man, Benji Lanyardo, who earlier on today we found relaxing post-game in his dressing gown. Benji, this isn't the post a 4-0 against Wolves and a 3-0 against Leicester conversation I was expecting. Um, it's very weird what the hell is going on. Uh, yeah, two really fantastic performances in a row against great teams and this one was almost flawless. It was incredible. When was the last time you saw West Ham playing this well, in all seriousness? Oh, I don't know. It's very different. I mean, the the most enjoyable football that we've had in recent years was the Billich season with Paye. Um, this is this is a very different type of team. We're we're sort of slightly more rugged, and and we worked incredibly hard. And actually, the thing, okay, I'm, I'm going to say it. We've got to give David Moyes quite a lot of credit. And, you know, there are there are jokes being made that, you know, the difference is he's currently working from home. Well, actually, the, the difference is the change is that he's made. We've changed formation to a sort of 3-4-3. And that really has been the main difference over the last couple of games. It's been a remarkable series of performances. Fornal's first touch, a player that I think many West Ham fans might have regarded as a slightly mysterious object, but uh, a wonderful performance today. Uh, who, who are your standout players in, in the Leicester game? Oh, I mean, across the board, I thought we were exceptional. I think that it's really smart moving Masuaku to, to the left because as long as he has absolutely no defensive responsibility whatsoever, he'll, he's great. And for, yeah, Fournals was amazing. He sort of flattered the deceive since he arrived uh, uh, last year and, he, and his first touch to bring the ball down for his goal was sublime. Rice um, was superb in the middle. He sort of really set our tempo. He gave Leicester's more dangerous players so little space. And and actually, I think one of the reasons that there's so many admiring glances in his direction is that he provides really quick, dangerous transitions for us. He started the move that, that led to the third goal. And, and uh, Ogbonna was Ogbonavaro, like really incredible against Vardy the whole game. You know, he's just got back into the Italy score, which is, I think has, has gone slightly unnoticed. And Again, Antonio. Jimbo, am I mad in thinking that he should be part of the of the England conversation? Because genuinely, we don't have anyone else like him up front. You know, he's, he's like a sort of more durable version of Andy Carroll in that when he's on form, he's really hard to stop. And, you know, he's a sort of, he could be a one-man plan B for England, but maybe that's getting getting carried away. I'm not going to argue with you, Benji. If, if it's not David Moyes' absence, hashtag banter, is it a coincidence that all this has happened with Mark Noble suddenly out of the team? Right, Jimbo, you watch your mouth. Um, no, I mean, seriously, no, it's probably not a coincidence. And, you know, this team is a real meritocracy now. And if we're if we're only playing two centre mids, then he'd probably be the first to admit that he doesn't get in the team. You know, um, Suchek and Rice are playing fantastically. And again, you know, Moyes, to, to his credit, is pretty pragmatic with this stuff. We, we had £100 million worth of attacking talent on the bench in, in Allaire, in Anderson, Yarmolenko, but... Our front three was, you know, a, a converted winger in Antonio, a bloke we signed from Hull and Pablo Fornals. And, you know, because it's because all of them work their asses off and Moyes likes that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think Noble may well now be, by default, on the bench and coming on, you know, in cup games at the end of, and at the end of, the end of games to close them down. So, yeah, I think it's not a coincidence. Mm. Benji, when you think back to the conversation we had on the eve of the season and then that defeat against Newcastle the position you thought West Ham were going to be in right now. What's been the biggest surprise about this run of results? I think 
it's we've we've just looked like a proper football team. Like you know, there were there were times you know immediately post lockdown and then and then at the beginning of this season where it was very difficult to get a sense of any kind of identity at West Ham, and that's been a problem really since we got got to the Olympic Stadium. You know, what the hell is West Ham? What do we do? What's our thing? And these last two games, we've looked really coherent. We've worked incredibly hard. You know, we were gagan pressing at times in this game today. Wolves and Leicester are the kind of teams that I was looking at with deep jealousy at the beginning of the season. And, you know, and then Everton after they, they picked up a whole new midfield. Because, it, you know, it felt like they're the kind of teams that West Ham should be competing with, but were nowhere near. And, yeah, two games in a row, we've, we've, we've absolutely mullered them. Seven goals and conceded none. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, David Moyes back in the dugout when the international break ends, just in time to face Spurs, Man City and then Liverpool. Can the miracle continue, Benji? It doesn't matter because we've got points in the bag now. In, in, the, in the Uncle Jeff coefficient, we're on plus six. We, you know, we, we didn't, the equivalent fixtures last year, yes. we, we lost our first seven. And we obviously didn't beat uh, Wolves at home last year. We didn't beat Leicester away last year. So, yeah, we're, 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 we've got points, points to spare, Jimbo. All right, then. Well, you enjoy... Your post-match glow in your kimono. And we'll catch up with you again (laughs) soon, Benji. Cheers, Jimbo. Benji Lanyardo. Adrian, you've been writing about West Ham. Yeah, ahead of this game, I was was talking about their aerial power. You you said David Boyce is doing it without Marouane Fellaini, but but he is doing it with Thomas Suchek, who is basically Fellaini reincarnated at times because he makes those marauding runs into the box from central midfield and, and wins almost every header. And of course, when you've got him and Michel Antonio, it means you have serious aerial power. And and that, I think, is a big plus for West Ham at the moment because they've got good crosses. And we saw that with, with Aaron Cresswell, double assist in this game. And, and in the game against Arsenal a couple of weeks back, I was watching that one closely and, and they whipped so many great balls into the box. It was, it was causing chaos. And, and ahead of this weekend, they'd had the most accurate crosses in the Premier League of any team. So so I think that is worth mentioning. And as is the fact that they went to Emirates Stadium and outshot Arsenal massively. I can't remember the exact stats. I think West Ham might have had 21 efforts. That rings a bell to, to you know, almost double Arsenal. They had 14 shots in this game against Leicester and only four against them. I mean, that's not, that's not fluky. They've, they've got something about them. They're playing with aggression now and they've got better legs and, and by legs, I mean, they've got athleticism in, in the middle of the park. And it's it's no slight on Mark Noble, who's, who's been a great player. But Suchek and Rice are, are, are a really good combination. They're a better side now than they were last season, aren't they, by, by some distance. And last season, was they really, really underachieved. I mean, they, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't have been in the relegation scrap that they, they found themselves in for most of that campaign. They, they, they tapped into the sort of Czech connection with some of their signings, as Suchek one mentioned, Kufal as well. It sounds as if they're going to be quite active on deadline day to try and bring in the centre-half, which which maybe even the knowledge that one might be incoming has has given the likes of Ogbonna and Balbuena a bit of a kick up the backside as well. I thought if you gave Moyes time and resources, he would still do a really good job for a, for a club like West Ham. I just think that's when he's in his element with that type of player and you get the industry, get them all working together and, 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 and organise, as Adrian says. And even in his absence in the, the last couple of games, you can see that that is Moyes' plan that's, that's in evidence there. What about Leicester? Is it when they're not given penalties they struggle? To an extent, I think that might be true um, because we raved and I raved about Jamie Vardy scoring three goals with 21 touches, but 
they they might like Jamie Vardy to have a few more touches than that, and they barely had a shot on target. I don't think no, against not, West not Ham. Hmm. Uh, yeah, just the disallowed goal. Um, I, I think they they badly miss. I mean, they they didn't slightly ironically against Manchester City, but they badly miss Wilfred and Didi and always have, quite frankly. Um, they badly miss Ricardo Pereira and always will because I think he's behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. He's the best attacking right back in the league. Um, and the reality is, is that that squad isn't big enough to cope with those kind of absentees. And I'm actually quite surprised that Brendan Rodgers has been, I mean, maybe he's doing it behind the scenes, but I'm quite surprised that he hasn't um, asked for a little bit more from from the owners this summer because they they obviously slumped badly towards the end of last season and and this still felt like a good chance to kick on and it kind of feels like they've they've missed the boat a little bit on that results like this happen we say it about Liverpool we say it about Leicester but yeah this kind of performance where they're both abject in both ends of the pitch and lacking in midfield is is a little bit worrying. Now, elsewhere on Sunday, Arsenal had a 2-1 win at home to Sheffield United. Can you sum this up for us in one word, Adrian? <laughs> Efficient. Okay. Wolves had a 1-0 win over Fulham, which possibly you would uh, award the same epithet. Still waiting, waiting for a reaction from Tony Khan to that uh, defeat. Uh, Fulham, of course, adding uh, Adam Ola-Lukman uh, to their squad, and he impressed... I think. Did anyone watch this game, the Wolves Fulham yeah, game? Was that you, I Dom? Was, yeah, that was me. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I got given the one goal affair. <laughs> Crikey! <laughs> now Lutman was superb when he came on. I mean, he, he only came on for the last half hour or so, but uh, he's got such quick feet, and he he did he did spread a bit of panic. And up to that point, it had been very much uh, Fulham had been working so hard to to try and be as organised and and defensively sure as they could possibly be after their you know horribly slapdash start to the season. And with with two left-footed centre-halves in Le Marchand and Reem, they, they'd actually done a decent job of it. OK, they conceded the goal and, and then they're chasing the game, but they, they'd offered nothing going forward at all. So it was it was finding that balance between being defensively assured and offering a, a, a bit of an attacking threat. And, and Lookman, thankfully, did did do that, inject a bit of a bit of pace and creation in that in the last twenty minutes, half an hour, and they ultimately they're probably a bit unlucky to to come away with a with a defeat. But Wolves just look a team that's in transition at the moment, trying to work out who actually plays for them and who doesn't anymore. I mean, it's it's just it's a very strange sort of situation with them. But sort of bedding in a lot of new signings, and I mean they'll mm. be fine. They'll absolutely they'll tear it up over the second half of the season, I imagine. Uh, but at the moment, they look a bit unfamiliar with each other. Fulham's neighbours down the bottom end, West Brom, meanwhile, were defeated 2-0 by Southampton. Oriol Romeo contributing a remarkable volley with the first touch he's had in the opposition box uh, this season. Adrian, uh, were there other things that you had wanted to tell us about the Arsenal performance well, beyond well, like, efficiency? I'd, I'd like, yeah, I'd like to explain why I use the word efficient. Um, and on. that's because they only had six shots and they, and they scored two really good goals. Six shots. It's not as efficient as Newcastle, is it? No, not quite, no. But only six shots at home to Sheffield United isn't, isn't a great stat. In, and it's another reason to question their creativity as a mm. side. It's definitely a work in progress there. It, it, it was an uninspired performance, but, but the two goals 
were really good to watch, really good. And, and they were very Arteta in the way that they were constructed. There was good rotational movement. And uh, and Pepe, I think, was probably the... Pepe and Bayerian were the, were the stars of the show. Bayerian was really good, two assists. And Pepe, who came off the bench, just lifted everybody. And I think in a team that's lacking a creator at the moment, and Arsenal are sorely lacking a creator, I think they've got to find a place for Nicola Pepe because even though he can be frustrating because he can do things that others can't he can beat a player and open up the pitch and and that's what he did in this in this game and he scored what I think might become a trademark goal driving him from the right bending it into the far corner so yeah good day for him um, but quite a forgettable match okay then we'll move on Saturday's other stories await us on the other side of this This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Who's up for a sparkling afternoon at Ellen Road as Leeds took on Manchester City? Manchester City, of course. Last season, when they, they had their first league defeat, they went out and won their next league game 8 0. And the way this game started at Ellen Road, it looked like they might be after something similar. They were magnificent to begin with, no? Yeah, they were. There's a really interesting thing with City is that generally they, they, when they have dropped points, they've fallen into a pattern, which is that when they score first, they, they win games and they go on to dominate teams. And when they concede first, it causes this mass panic that we, we spoke about, particularly after, you know, at the end of last season. But this season, they, they've already dropped five points from games in which they've scored first. Now, that's as many points as they dropped when scoring first in the whole of 2017-18 when they won the title first under Pep. And it, um, I think for the la- under Pep, they haven't dropped more than nine points when scoring first in games in the Premier League. So it, it's kind of weird that they found a new way to be defensively lax, which is this really commanding start as against Wolves, as against Leicester, as against Leeds on, on Saturday. And then they just seem to... It's, it's It used to be that they conceded a goal and it caused this mass panic in defence. Now it feels like a team just has one go at them and makes one run and they have this mass panic in defence. So, yeah, very odd. But I, I, the one thing I want to say about this game, and it's not really a, a kind of... It's, it's, it's almost anti-analysis, but the last half an hour in which both sides were just trading blows with each other was just... it was it, To me, that is Premier League football at its absolute best. That kind of really intense, really harem scarum kind of basketball football was just a genuine pleasure to watch. And talk about Guardiola and Bielsa as these kind of tactical beer moths, but a tactical has somehow become a sort of euphemism for stalemate a little bit. Actually, it can just produce this fantastic, weird, chaotic football that is absolutely sensational to watch. Mm. Blake Redding, uh, wondering to what extent Bielsa's performance, or at least Leeds' performance, uh, would be also in the opening game of the season for them against Liverpool has set the tone for other teams knowing how to compete now against the likes of Klopp or in this case Guardiola. I mentioned the dominance though that Man City had at the start of this match going a goal up and then Kevin De Bruyne hitting the post as well. How did Leeds turn it around? Do you know what? I thought that Marcelo Bielsa here had a great feel for the game and and, and by that I just think he he could see what was needed at the right time and and they they began, they were a little bit too respectful, I thought, of City early on in the game. And, and they upped the aggression and they really got after City. And then 
And then what he did, he brought Pervader on to need to, to really have a go at, at Mendy. And I thought that was very, very clever, as was the timing of the Rodrigo substitution. I felt that at that point, Leeds were, Leeds were ready for that, that second forward to get up there and join in with Bamford to really put put a slightly creaking City defence un, under massive pressure. And, and Rodrigo himself really grasped that opportunity. He was he was everywhere, very, very positive and, and was a big goal threat. So, yeah, I, I feel that Bielsa sort of had a good, a good taste, a good smell for the game and made the right changes at the right time. So much so that in the end... Pep had to react and, and go a little bit more, a little bit more cautious right towards the end, just just to make sure they got a point. What about the defensive issues that you mentioned, Daniel? Last defeat saw them go out and buy another defender. Presumably they're not going to do that on this Monday. Uh, I know Richard Keyes has excited comment with his <laughs> proposal that they bring in Sam Allardyce on a part-time basis, but... Genuinely, is there something that needs to be done if they're to turn around a season which currently has them, I think, lying 14th in the league? No, I mean, I know that wasn't a joke suggestion from Richard Keyes, but it was a joke suggestion from Richard Keyes. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I know defensive coaches are a thing and City have some coaches who specialise more in the defensive aspects of the game than the attacking. Um I just think it's a, a, a mental issue. You know, we've talked about this time and time again with City. It's about concentrating all the time. And when your team is relentlessly attacking in the first 15 minutes, I can imagine as a defender, it's quite easy to switch off to um, those runs in behind. And I don't think it's any surprise that Jamie Vardy was one of those players who really got at them because he is an incredibly hardworking and um, a, a kind of pest striker who will look for your deficiencies and exploit them. Um, that has to improve or they won't. They simply won't win the league, whatever Liverpool's result this weekend. Mm. As for Leeds, though, there was so much excitement about seeing Marcelo Bielsa and his football in, in the Premier League. And so far, they've, they've not disappointed in, in any way. It's fabulous with them. The likes of Villa turned into this kind of rampaging attacking side. It, it, it is, whilst there are major asterisks uh, about many aspects of this campaign, it is a, a pretty unique sporting spectacle so far. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd, I'd... I mean, I remember Norwich Norwich last season going to Anfield on the opening weekend. I think it was Friday night, and and going all out attack and getting absolutely well, just four nil down at half time. I think it was just because they were picked off so easily on the break. Leeds have a bit more guile, a bit more edge to them. Uh, they're certainly a lot more nous to them. They, they know exactly what they're doing. They're they're, they're they're well drilled, and they are thrilling to watch and we shouldn't be surprised really I mean this is what Bielsa does uh, I, I'm interested to see how long they can sustain it um, at this tempo um, can they do this into the spring uh, but uh, everything about them so far is refreshing and, and, and it's brilliant to see them back and, and long may it continue On that Dom um, I looked into their running stats ahead of the game and it was interesting because obviously we, we, we know that Bielsa's side are, are known for being super fit so I asked our pals at Opta, are they? And and yes, they were number one for, for distance covered. Manchester City, by contrast, and not this isn't a slight on them because everyone has a different style. They were ranked 17th. Before that game, Leeds had covered over eight kilometres per game more than Manchester City, which I, I thought was a huge number, a really huge number. And, it, and that is the reason that Leeds are going to make life really hard for everyone 
that they play this season because they are relentless in in their off the ball application as well as their runs when they have it. So yeah, they're, they're going to be a nightmare to play that to play all season. You, you've got to ready yourself for a test against Leeds. I, I, the other the, the other weird thing, and it's a bit of a, a, a hypothesis rather than you know, I don't offer any proof necessary for this, but I wonder if the way Leeds play um, might almost render their opponents meaningless in that they 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 will certainly play the same way as against, as against Manchester City as against um you know West Bromwich Albion but I almost wonder if it, it might yield the same results so they they almost might have a season where they get just about as many points against the top half as they do the bottom half because it feels like if 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 what they do works to the full extent they will be successful and if what they do doesn't work they won't be successful clearly they'll more likely to be punished by better teams and better attackers. But I wonder if there might be a bit of a kind of mesh about how they perform against teams across the league. That will be proven completely horribly wrong over the next few weeks, of course. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. I mean, bets have never been more off, I think, than than in this current campaign. City, though, set new standards for excellence not that long ago, a little bit more than a kind of year and a half ago, the uh, 2018-19 campaign. How is it that they've gone from that to this admittedly spectacular but ultimately deeply flawed outfit? I I don't like giving them this excuse because they have an extraordinary amount of money with which to buy replacement players. But they've been without Sergio Aguero for a fair while. They've been right. without uh, Americ Laporte for long, long periods. And I, I honestly believe if you swapped around Americ Laporte and Virgil van Dijk, those two clubs would have had... The, the other club's season last season. That's how much better I think Virgil van Dijk is than Imeric Laporte's replacement. So I, I, hate, I hate giving City that excuse because they have got so much money to buy new players, but mm. I don't think we can overlook just how much that Laporte and Aguero absence makes a difference. And Leroy Sané last season as well, albeit a player didn't really want to be there. All right. And the um, conversion, or at least the, the, the accuracy of their shots, the incredible number of shots in this game, 35 in total. City had 23, but only two of them on target, which you know might be in some way relevant or related to the absence of both Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero, though, Daniel, you're frowning. No, 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 I, I, I agree. I mean, they play this kind of false nine formation in which someone is normally picked as a striker. It doesn't do it. But that false nine normally relies on other people getting ahead of them. City almost don't do that. They're almost completely strikerless. So against a good defence, that can occasionally just lead to you not having enough men in the box and having to shoot from distance, which Sterling did brilliantly. But I, I suspect that those 23 shots, I suspect plenty of them were from long range or outside the box because it just feels like they don't really get enough players close to the bowl when they don't have Gabriel Jesus or, or Aguero starting. Well, if you had to drop points against anybody, I'm sure Pep would be delighted that it's to Marcelo Bielsa. And when you look at the other results which came afterwards, City got off lightly in this craziest of weekends. Very shortly, we'll be looking at uh, ooh, Chelsea's 4-0 win over Crystal Palace and also, yes, Newcastle-Burnley. First of all, though, it's our friend Lee Price with some odds from Paddy Power. Hello, everyone. Wow, this weekend was a lot. I don't know if there are any Man United fans still listening or, yes, indeed, Eddie fans, full stop, etc., etc., boom, boom. But I want to give you a little reprieve here. And no, it's not to tell you about Edson Cavani or that other lad that I've only ever seen on Football Manager. I actually want to give you five seconds of soothing sounds to escape from all the critique and chaos.
Ah, there you go. Now, back to remembering Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo still play for your club. I do have to do some match awards, apologies, and rather than tell you that Solskjaer is a new favourite in the sack race, oops, me and my mouth, I thought maybe I'd focus on some of the positive stories in the Premier League to distract you from this carnage. So here we go. Leeds United are odds on to finish in the top half of the table as millions of lads who couldn't be bothered to watch the Championship last season realise they're quite good. And an English team, Manchester City, are joint favourites to win the Champions League this season. So there you go, United fans. I'm sure that will really perk you up. All the best. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Dominic. <laughs> the Dom Fifield Derby. It was the Dominic Fifield Derby this weekend as Chelsea welcomed <laughs> Crystal Palace to Stamford Bridge. Were you present? Uh, no, thankfully. Okay. Uh, what, what did you make of it from a safe distance? First of all, big win for Frank's uh, new look blues, no? Eduardo Mendy, the keeper, Chuka Silva looking better, and Ben Chilwell, what a debut. Yeah, they did well. It was much needed. It was much needed because uh, the pressure was starting to mount on him, to be honest. They clicked after half-time. I think they probably went in frustrated at 0-0 at, at, at half-time and, and, and thought, here we go again, and Palace could pick them off on the break. But the, the, actually... Their performance throughout was dominant in a... I, th- I thought the, the player of the match was actually Zuma and the, and the way that he did the, such a, a good stifling job on Wilfred Zaha um, really prevented Palace doing what they'd done, say, at, at Old Trafford earlier this season, uh, where, where Palace was such a threat on the counter-attack. Here, Zaha just didn't get on the ball and, and Zuma was all over him, completely dominant. When you've got a chill world doing that on, down his side and having the same effect on Andros Townsend, and, and as Piliqueta's sort of experience and, and, and know-how negating Eberichi Eze on, on the left, it, it just gave them this great platform to wait for Palace to make a mistake. And... The way because Palace just couldn't get out of their own half, that mistake came, and and, and Saka actually made three of them in the end. Um, <laughs> so it ended up being a very very comfortable win. I, I, you know, you could argue that it's a deceptive four 0 win, but actually, I thought Chelsea Chelsea were completely in control from the start. Good weekend for Zoomers, you know, with David Moyes. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. The other good thing for Chelsea's perspective, and and Lampard will very much sell the positives of this, is that that Timo Werner's had 11 shots and and hasn't scored. Looks a little bit like he's kind of finding his way in. Kai Havertz has only had six touches of the ball in the penalty area so far, which is is far fewer than Lampard would like. But they're getting their goals from from odd areas. You know, Kurt Zuma's already scored twice. Rhys James is their highest chance creator. Jorginho, obviously on penalties, is is their top scorer. Ben Chilwell scored on Saturday. So they, they are getting goals from, from players they wouldn't necessarily expect to get them from, which is is basically completely rendering the discussion or at least any kind of emergency discussion about how long it will take the front line to gel null and void because while they're winning games, Lampard can avoid those questions. On the subject of Timo Werner, uh, Duncan Alexander pointing out that he has now waited two hours longer than Joe Ellington did for his first Premier League goal and <laughs> counting in brackets. Yeah, naughty. Um, he's, he's looked sharp, I think. Um, but I was going to ask Dom, actually, about Werner and what you think might happen. He's comfortable on the left. I'll pray to there because he, he makes those runs inside. I think he will get into goal-scoring positions. But we know that, that when he's fit, surely Christian Pulisic will will be the left winger 
because he, for me, he was he was he was dynamite before he got injured. Sensational in the cup final and before that moment. So, will Werner play as the striker with Havertz behind, or do you think that Werner will flick to the other side and and, and be the wide right guy? No, because I think that's where Hassan Ziyech will end up, and he hasn't he hasn't featured at all yet. So. Um... No, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a there is a complicated selection issue there, and thankfully Frank Lampard has that many games still to play with, given the Champions League, etc. That he will have to chop and change because because Werner will end up as a central striker, I imagine, in his first choice eleven. But where does that leave Tammy Abraham? Where does that leave Olivier Giroud? I mean, Giroud's probably on the way out at the end of the season, you'd imagine. I think you're right about Havertz as a as a as a ten. Um, then you've got to fit Zayek in and Pulisic in, and then where does where does his favourite player Mason Mount fit in? I mean, it's 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 a it's a proper dilemma for them. But that's what happens when you just accumulate a squad full of creative midfielders. Uh, you have to loan the likes of Ross Barkley out just to ensure that you know you haven't got seven of them on the bench. It's exciting to have all those options, and it will take them time to to work out their best eleven. Um, that's often used as a sort of criticism. The manager doesn't use his, know his best eleven, but actually it's probably a position they'd all like to be in because it means they've got options. Mm, very true. A Jorginho, who's still being linked by transfer rumours to Arsenal. Of course, uh, by now that may or may not have happened. Uh, listeners, you hear this. Uh, let's conclude our roundup of uh, round four of this Premier League season with Newcastle's 3-1 win over Burnley. Yeah, not a good day for Nick Pope to have a wobble. That's for sure. Uh, with Jordan Pickford having his own issues at Everton, I think he could have done with a much better performance right from the start. He looked edgy. And, and with Dean Henderson on the bench for Manchester United, it, it does make you wonder what, what, what Gareth Southgate's going to do moving forward. Um, yeah, look, Newcastle were good value. I was surprised at, at Burnley and and yeah, how easy they were to, to carve open. But, but maybe we shouldn't be surprised because... They're so reliant on on me and Tarkovsky, and 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 I was I quite fancied them to, to get something from this game because Tarkovsky was back, but look, it's only one one half of the double act, isn't it? And 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 I think that those two players are absolutely the the heartbeat of that that Claret side, and and when one or or both aren't there, they they seem to be quite easy fodder for for the rest of the division. They look stretched, don't they, Burnley at the moment? They they just have a, a, a feel of a, of a club that, that that needed to do more in this transfer window. Um, I think that that'll clearly be a source of of issues between the management and and the ownership over over the months to come if they don't do a lot of business on on, on transfer deadline day or indeed by the end of next week when the domestic transfer window closes because they, they need freshening up in a lot of areas. They, they can't rely on McNeil just to be there. You know, they're, they're creative force, um, pushing them forward. They can't rely on Tarkovsky at the back because he's a player that has been unsettled by, by the transfer rumours that have swirled around him all summer. So they, they, they need something. They need an injection from somewhere. Newcastle with their signings, in fact, looking at revitalised Callum Wilson with a brace and Sam Maximan back in the side with a goal and an assist. Yeah, a word too for for Joe Linton, who has become a bit of a understandably become a bit of a running joke because he costs forty million pounds and doesn't score goals. Um, but anyone that watched him in in Germany would say he is far better on the left or even the right of a front three 
kind of holding up the ball from there and linking play. And lo and behold, Newcastle finally sign an actual number nine and he is pushed out onto the left and or, or on the right as he was against Burnley. He kind of starts, nominally starts as a striker, but is now able to drift really well. And it's hard to pick up doing that. Wilson misses chances, but he also makes those runs that no other Newcastle player makes. And they look 10 times a side, as well as Joe Linton looking 10 times a player, because they've got they finally got competition for places. You know, Ryan Fraser and Miguel Almiron weren't starting on Saturday. And yeah, there, there is some reason for optimism, I think, at Newcastle. Mm, they're up in the top half of the table, a point ahead of resurgent West Ham. Of course, very, very early days. The Premier League takes a break now as the Nations League resumes a play. And Thursday's Totally Football Show will give you everything you need to uh, enjoy or indeed avoid uh, the international games coming up over the next week or so. Before that, also out today, there's a Totally Football League show, which, Daniel, we won't have too much time to discuss what's happened in the Football League this weekend. Shame. Uh, Bristol City, though, are top of the table with four wins out of four. At the other end, of course, Nottingham Forest. Uh, Tuesday, look out for the Totally Scottish Football Show which will probably feature some news on Kilmarnock, whose entire squad is self-isolating after multiple COVID-19 diagnoses. And the Totally Football Show European edition will be out slightly later on Tuesday, uh, discussing all sorts of huge stories, not least the game which didn't take place in Italy Sunday night. Juventus-Napoli, Juve turned up uh, at their stadium. Uh, Napoli remained in Naples, and there's a bit of a row going on. We'll uh, have also a forensic breakdown of the Champions League draw and much more in Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show. So uh, do join us for that. That pretty much wraps it up for this quite an uneventful edition of the Totally Football Show. Many apologies if we didn't cover uh, all of the games in all their glory, but, you know, there was stuff going on. But many, many thanks to Adrian, to Dominic and to Daniel for summing things up, for providing us with sizzling hot takes with the final whistle having barely blown at Villa Park and producer Charlie for chopping out all the dodgy bits and listener you for being with us we'll be back soon from all of us here it's goodbye you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at the Totally Show on Twitter and Insta Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.